the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, my fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart White here, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. With this podcast, Brett and I discuss the CU recruiting class of 2021. Now, as it turned out, we could have done much of the same podcast back in December as there were no new signees on signing day two on February 3rd. Still, the wait was worth it, as we not only discussed the 17 newest buffs, but also take a look at the potential signees who did not send in their letters of intent to the Champion Center. We'll then also take a look at the roster moves, which involve the transfer portal, including the former buffs who are off to play at other schools, and the three new buffs, to date, who have committed to come to Boulder, coming to see you from Tennessee, Oklahoma, and most recently, Notre Dame. Before we talk about your newest buff heroes, please allow me to make my pitch for you to subscribe to the podcast. We are available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other fine sites. We also appreciate your comments and suggestions, which can always be done at seeyouatthegame at gmail.com, as well as to your reviews. Now, let's talk about the CU roster and the CU recruiting class of 2021. Okay. We are back and ready to talk about recruits. I'd like to introduce my BFF, Brad Geiger. How are you doing, Brad? I'm doing pretty well. You know, February, January and February are not the high points for college football fans, but uh, nor am I excited about watching Tom Brady play in the Super Bowl again, but overall doing well. Okay, so that, does that mean you're rooting for my Chiefs? Is the question. Uh, <laughs> I am probably hoping for a good game. Okay. Well, <laughs> yes, full disclosure, fans. Yes, I am a Kansas City Chief fan. Lived in Denver for seven years, being a Kansas City Chief fan during the Elway years. So deal with it. <laughs> you know, it's finally my turn. After 50 years of waiting, I finally get to have my team in the Super Bowl. Uh, but we aren't here to talk about professional football. We're going to talk a little college football. And we put off talking about the recruiting class of 2021 in December because partially because it was right before Christmas and partially because we had a bowl game to get ready for, but also on the idea that we'd have more recruits added to the class of 2021. And therefore we'd wait till February and we could talk about the entire class at once. Well, the best laid plans of mice and men and all that as the day before signing day, an email came out from Dave Platty that, in fact, Colorado was not going to sign any recruits on signing day two, the, the first Wednesday of February. 
Just a brief recap so that we can talk about what we didn't get. We were expecting only a few, really three recruits. Well, it's a name we're not going to have to learn how to say, but Ike Chuka Iwuna. Any close? You know, pretty close on that one, you think? Ike Chuka Ike Chuku Iwuna was a Colorado commit all the way up until the day before signing day and then decided to go to Michigan. TJ Patu, a linebacker. Of course, Ike, I was just going to call him Ike, was a defensive lineman. TJ Patu is a linebacker who had been committed for a long period of time, decided not to sign in December, and decommitted the day before signing day. The third member of the class that we were expecting to get was Ashton Logan, the punter, and he's supposedly still on board. The idea being that he is going to gray shirt, translate, he's not going to enroll until January of 2022, so he won't count against this class. He will be officially a member of the class of 2022 and still have five years to play for. The other recruit that was in the fold temporarily was another defensive lineman, Victory Vaca, who was a Christmas present for the University of Colorado. He committed on Christmas Day and then decommitted on the 19th of January. And there was also Clay Millen, who was never actually a commit to Colorado, but was expected or thought to be a potential commit for Colorado. He was a longtime Arizona commit, decommitted when Kevin Sumlin got fired and was expected potentially to sign with CU, but it decided to commit to Nevada and play for the Wolfpack instead. So we ended up with a very quiet February 3rd signing day. What were your thoughts when Dave Flatty sent out the email saying, don't worry about a press conference on Wednesday because we ain't going to have one? Of course I was frustrated. Ike looked like a nice addition. Somebody we were in on kind of late, somebody who wasn't attracting attention until suddenly he was. So, yeah, you would have liked to add a couple more in there. Uh, this We are, us old timers are still getting used to having two signing days and a transfer portal. So uh, what used to be a one-day excitement is now spread over a couple of months, so I guess it spreads the disappointment out as well. Yeah. Well, it certainly did make the message boards light up. There was lots of consternation, a great deal of hand-wringing, as to the lack of signees. Some of that was tempered. Um, Today, as we record, that another transfer portal is coming in. But I'd like to hold off on that so we can actually talk about the class of 2021, which was the purpose from the beginning. And in December, Colorado did sign 17 members of the class of 2021, 16 high school seniors and a junior college transfer. And we talked a little bit before we went on the air. I think we're going to just go through different units, different areas and start on the offense. And, of course, if you're going to start on the offense, you're going to start with the quarterback. And Colorado did get a signee, Drew Carter, out of Tigard, Oregon, which is a Portland suburb. Stats I like about him, that he went 30-5 and five as a quarterback. He went won 10 games a year each of his three years, which means since Oregon didn't play football this year, he won 10 games as a starting quarterback as a freshman. All-state, all-league, also played basketball. There was a lot of talk about him actually sitting on the bench and playing for Tad Boyle. Other thing I like about him is the fact that he graduated early. He is actually enrolled and will be available for spring ball. So 
Thoughts on new freshman quarterback Drew Carter? Well, you know, he is what they now call a dual-threat quarterback, which is all the rage. And it will be interesting to see how he and Lewis kind of compare and contrast and how they will work, given that there's not or may not be a big gap between the two of them. But certainly having somebody else in the room and there to help and to be taught is uh, is a value. I don't know he's the kind of guy that you think is going to build you're going to build your program around, but if he comes in and maybe gets a little bigger, he seems to be an athlete who can play this position. Yeah, and as you mentioned, there's a class they both he and Lewis will be considered true freshmen because there was no eligibility lost this year, so. It'll be interesting to see how the depth chart works out over the next several years. Fans are excited about that. We got two other skill position players that signed on. No running backs, but two wide receivers, both actually from the state of Colorado. Ty Robinson from Aurora played for Eaglecrest, and Chase Penry, who played at Jerry Creek. Any thoughts about the two, Ty Robinson and Chase Penry, or two new wide receivers? Well, it's really hard to see how a freshman is going to make much of an impact in that room. If there is a position that the CU offense can call itself loaded, it is wide receiver. So I think it is likely that these are young men we're going to not see much of over the next couple of years. Yeah, um, with a full roster and a bunch of freshmen, even with freshman carryovers, I would agree that be probably special teams, if anything, the first year or so. What stood out to me about Penry, the fact that he had over 2,000 yards playing for Cherry Creek, went 45-5 and in his years playing for Dave Logan, 23-0 the last two years. So he certainly knows how to play for a winning program. And Ty Robinson, I think, thing that caught my eye about him, the fact that he's 6'4", is always helpful. He's got to fill out. He's only 185 pounds. You realize once upon a time, I was 6'4", 185 pounds? <laughs> that was that was many decades ago. But once upon Things a time, I, I was 6'4", 185. That Coach Cheverini said about him, he's a guy who has a huge ceiling. And I think filling out and obviously getting some experience, there's optimism for those two. But, yeah, neither one of them. I would agree with you, is probably going to make an impact in the 2021 season anyway. They're probably just going to be red shirts. If they do play, they'll probably be on special teams. But I know you are excited about the other receiver that signed on as a tight end, a four-star player, probably the highest-rated player in the class, tight end Eric Olson from Heritage High in Littleton. And he's another one of the five. There are five total out of the 17 that have actually – enrolled and will be available for spring ball. And one of them is tight end Eric Olson. Tell me why you think he is going to be a Superman at the University of Colorado. <laughs> well, he is more of the kind of slot or H-back. I don't know that he's going to be the strongest blocker we've ever put at the end of the line. But if you look at him play against high school kids, there's moments that he is a man among boys where particularly after he catches the ball, there are highlights of him running over small cornerbacks with general ease. There's also He also seems to understand patterns a little bit better, and he certainly has no fear of going across the middle, although, of course, that's easier when you're three inches taller than everybody who might be in front of him. 
<laughs> yeah, coming in at six five two forty. That's uh, yeah. If you're a a five eleven hundred eighty pound linebacker or safety playing for another high school, yeah, you're not going to be too excited about him. Uh, the fact that his favorite athlete is Travis Kelsey for the Chiefs. If he does anything within yards of being like Travis Kelsey, he's going to be a star at the University of Colorado. So fingers crossed that that's going to work out for the Buffs. There were three offensive linemen, Edgar Amaya, Jackson Anderson, and Tyus Martin. Now, if you have a decent program, you don't want any freshman offensive linemen playing. That would never be the goal. That would never be the hope. You definitely want to get them in the weight room. Even though Amaya's already at 315, Anderson's 290, and Martin's at 320, they're doing something different in high school than when we were there. <laughs> I don't remember anybody in my class being 315 or 320 pounds. But these are very large young men. But I think you would agree with me that we don't expect to see them on the field to play, but it's nice to have three large individuals come in as freshmen. Yeah, it, uh, and and we'll talk at a later date about our new strength and conditioning coach, but these really do look like young men who, as they say, have the frame to get big. And that was something that Mel Tucker, you know, won't say his name without, you know, spitting in left, right, in different directions, but <laughs> um, that's something that Coach Durrell is also going, emphasizing is not trying to bring in 265-pound high school linemen and build them into 300-pound linemen. They're actually recruiting 300-pound linemen and working to turn that size into something bigger or something more muscular. Yeah, I think that, you know, looking at the, the bios, you know, Maya's one of the top offensive guards in the nation. So is Anderson. They're pretty close in terms of their rankings. Tyus Martin was actually ranked as a defensive tackle. Um, so he's a big guy and his play on both sides of the ball and, and the coach Wilson called him a natural big man, he's not manufactured. He's a natural 300 pounder. So not just a, a big guy that has a lot of weight. He's an actual massive human being and is going to do great things for us. But hopefully we won't hear their names until 2023. If all things are going well along the offensive line, that they're going to be, contributing maybe on special teams being for extra points and field goals and things like that to get their feet wet in 2022, and they're just going to be in the weight room in 2021. But welcome. It's always welcome to have three big offensive linemen already in the fold coming in for the start of the 21 season. On the defensive side of the ball, we got a couple of defensive tackles. Let's see. you got Ryan Williams, who's out of Carolyn, Texas. He's not a very big guy. He's only well, he's 6'5", but he's only 260 pounds. Alan Baugh is 6'3", 265. Any thoughts on, on those guys at this point? Well, I mean, the important part about Williams is, just, is not just that he's playing for us. It's that he played for a 5A D1 high-profile program in Texas. And if we can start bringing in large young men from competitive programs in Texas. And we know that if you recruit one, sometimes that leads to others. You know, he played for a 16-0 and team his junior year. That's a nice system to get into. There's a lot of kids who can play football in Texas. If we can start picking off some of them, that would be very nice. 
And again, he's 6'5", 241. Like, the frame to get large. <laughs> yes. And, you know, the quotes from Coach Wilson, of course, was at the time that they were signed, he was the defensive line coach, now he's defensive coordinator, that upside was the the word used, you know, he's a really big upside. He could play defensive end as well as defensive tackle, what he said about Ryan Williams and about Alan Bay. He said, I'm excited about his upside. Talented guy with a great family, has a high football IQ. So five between the three offensive linemen and the two defensive linemen, you know, five large young men makes up about a third of the class. So it's nice to have that kind of growth in the, in the trenches where Steve's trying to make a statement that they're going to be stronger and bigger in years to come. So moving on to the linebackers, another name, Zephaniah, and I'm going to say his name wrong. It's M-A-E-A, Maya Maya, was the number 43 inside linebacker in the country, coming out of Las Vegas. And Zion Magali, Magali, so... We're just going to call them Zeph and Zion, I think. You know, maybe for those well, the of nice part who, is they'll sit right next to each other in class if we still <laughs> line up people by alphabetical order. Yeah. <laughs> so they're both large individuals. Uh, Zion's from Chandler, Arizona. Played two seasons varsity, did not lose a game. 23 and all record his last two years. And Coach Michalowski said he has a dip in the bend that can get home to quarterback. He's a great pass rusher. But he's a physical against the run. His great awareness of where the quarterback, quarterback is in the pocket, which is something Colorado fans have been hoping, praying, dying for. And for Zeph, Zeph and I, I think playing linebacker comes down to being having the right instincts. This was Coach Summers, which, of course, was defensive coordinator no longer. I think one thing, Naya, as he called him, so it's not Zeph, it's Naya, my apologies, Similar to Nate Landman, you see a guy who's plays with a lot of instincts and a guy who can diagnose plays really quickly and then has bad intentions when they get to the ball. They're both very similar in that regard. So those that love Nate Landman, which is pretty much everyone that considers himself to be a Buff fan, and if you're listening to this, a podcast about CU in the middle of February, yeah, you're probably a Buff fan, so you're going to be excited about Naya. And he is another player that is going to be in camp. He is already in school, already enrolled. Well, and there does seem to be, and every coach wants to talk about maulers and that kind of thing, but there does, there clearly is an attitude here that they are, one, looking for the build, and two, looking for the attitude, that they're looking to have that already developed rather than try to coach it up. Yes. Okay. Well, Moving to the defensive backfield, three cornerbacks. And, of course, you know, that was some area of concern, you know, the depth in the defensive backfield. And the CU picked up three different cornerbacks, Kalen Moore out of Westlake Village, California, Tyron Taylor out of Huntersville, North Carolina, and then Nico Reed out of Oakland, six feet, six two. Well, Nico's only 5'10", but got to like the length here. Let's see, Kalen Moore played both ways. Of course, they didn't play senior season in California. Coach Martin, he's a special guy, son of a coach. Football intelligence is very high. Getting back to what you were just talking about, that 
These are players that come ready, do not have to spend a lot of time getting them ready to play football. Tyron Taylor from all the way from North Carolina. Again, Coach Martin says very very high football IQ. Maybe they said that about all the players, but it seems like that seems to be a theme that we're getting here for some of these players. And then Nico Reed, first league all. This way caught my eye as a junior. And again, since he's California, he didn't play as a senior, but as a junior, first team all league at receiver, defensive back, and special teams. So this guy was on the field to play pretty much all the time. And the Coach Martin talked about a jitterbug of the crew. Now, of course, he's the one that's only 5'10", but it looks like, you know, he might end up being a kick returner as well as playing corner, and he can also play at the nickel position. So three speedy guys at uh, at cornerback, and I'm assuming that you're excited about them as well. Well, I'm always excited about death in the defensive backfield. I just I just keep hoping this is going to sort out. We're going to find the guys who continue to play and can match up with the USC wide receivers or the Washington State program or whoever's throwing the ball around right now. So one of the things that struck me about uh, Tyler was that he talked very thoughtfully about which positions he can play and how he can do it. I think college football is trending towards defensive back. Can you play, can you play corner? Can you move over to the, to the slot? Can you then move back at safety and make the tackles if you have to do it? And a guy like Taylor, who's already thinking about that and who is six two, one seventy five, 175, and we could probably expect to play a little bigger than that would be a handy person to have around at some point. Yes. You, you can't, you can't teach speed and ball skills. I mean, it's, you can teach them technique, but there are certain players that just seem to be always there and you want to have cornerbacks that have no conscience that can come back if they happen to get beat. I think we saw that with the development of Christian Gonzalez this year, thrown into the fray as a true freshman. You could see his development over the course of six games. So if we get these guys in here, get them behind Gonzalez, get them behind Blackman, and maybe get him some spot duty and stuff like that, that you know we might develop some depth in addition to having some talent at the quarterback position. Also got two safeties, Trevor Woods, what stood out to me, he's from Katy, Texas. Coach Maxey, Brett Maxey, who was the safeties coach, but is now the defensive pass game coordinator, got promoted. And what he said about Trevor Woods, I have not seen a safety that have recruited like him in terms of ball skills. Trevor had four interceptions for touchdowns in his junior year. You're talking about a guy who has instincts range and is tough, which is what we were just talking about. You know, we want to have those types of players. And certainly CU is needy at the safety position. Now, Woods might not be game ready coming in as a true freshman, but the other safety could very well be playing come September, and that's Trustin Oliver, who has taken a very circuitous. <laughs> I was going to. I'm glad you said because I can never quite get that word out. It's something. It's one of those words that I cannot say. Um, he took a long route to get back to Boulder. He was actually a member of CU class of 2019, went the junior college route, redshirted in 2019, and then didn't get to play. Junior colleges didn't play this year. So he actually hasn't played in two years, but he's coming to Colorado with three years of eligibility still remaining. 
And he was a highly rated recruit as a part of class of 2019, but just didn't make it to Boulder. So we're talking about, you know, somebody that's already two years past high school. And he's another one of the five that came in that's going to be able to play or participate in spring ball. And hopefully we'll be game ready. He's 6'4", 220, originally out of Parker, Colorado, so he's coming home. And Coach Max, he said he's a big physical player at the point of attack, a good tackler. He likes contact. When the ball's in the air, he turns into a receiver. So those two potential safety recruits, and yes, you don't want a true freshman playing safety. You do not want a, a sophomore that hasn't played in three years necessarily being your starters, but at least there's building some depth, and it looks like they've got two quality recruits coming in um, at the safety position. Well, and the thing that struck me about Trusted is those of us who are old enough to remember the frustration of players coming into BYU, having a year, and then going off on their mission for two years and coming back three inches and 40 pounds <laughs> heavier, having interned with a football coach. (laughs) (laughs) Trustin, it appears, has continued to work on that. You know, he didn't perhaps do all the skill development, but we are not signing a kid here. This is is a full-grown human being man. Yes, that is. Hopefully, yes, coming in will be game ready. The final member of the 17-member class is a kicker, uh, Cole Becker. Depending on which service... You might remember that we had signed or had a commitment from the number one kicker in the class, who then decommitted and went to Notre Dame or signed with Notre Dame. But then Cole Becker came along, who by a different service was rated as the number one kicker in the country. So at one point or another, we had two number one kickers in the country signed or are committed to the University of Colorado. Just in case you're wondering, Cole Becker is rated as number four kicker in the class by the other service, but... According to Cole's professional camps, this is the number one kicker in the country. What I liked about Becker, the fact that he also played basketball. So we're not talking about a, you know, necessarily a soccer player from Australia that just learned how to play the game. He's from California and he plays basketball, so he's an athlete. And yes, it's good to have, hopefully, what we will find to be the number one kicker in the country coming into Boulder and starting to kick at altitude, I mean, this guy was kicking, he had a, there's a video of him kicking a 68-yard field goal at sea level. So imagine what this guy can do if he gets to Boulder. So hopefully the kicker of the future signed on with Colorado in December of 2020. And, you know, those guys tend to hang around for four years. <laughs> yes, or five, as the, as the case may turn out to be if we're, doing okay with Evan Price coming into the 2021 season. We can redshirt him and have four more years of him. So the class is relatively small. You know, can sign 25. CU only signed 17 because of the 25 limit wasn't necessary because, well, we only had 10 seniors in the class of 2020. So as it turned out, with the loss of the three potential commitments, we fell out of the 50 range in the national rankings. As we stand here today, the dust still sort of settling on the classes. Rivals has a 63rd in the country, 24-7 Sports 64th, ESPN 60th, and either 9th or 10th in the Pac-12. So the first class 
under Carl Durrell. Obviously, he wasn't around for the class of 2020 because, well, he wasn't the coach at the time. Um, so there's some consternation there that there's the drop, you know, in terms of the overall quality of the class, in terms of the ratings of the class. I think we, or I did an essay anyway, a month ago that we were going to give this class a pass. Are you satisfied, content, dismayed, disappointed with how this class looks overall compared to how it rates in the Pac-12 and nationally? You know, I'm content. First-year coach, strange circumstances. I know we're tired of the word unprecedented, but it still applies. You know, the biggest concern is that you don't look at this class and say, you know, that's the kid that we're pretty sure is going to start for us for the next three or four years, with the exception perhaps of the kicker, (laughs) uh, which does not, you know, tend to race anybody's pulse. So, yeah, you would have liked to have hit on somebody, and maybe we did. We kind of knew, particularly in the first couple classes, that Durrell was going to have to be workmanlike. But certainly, it would be nice to hit a bigger one. But literally, if we hit one four-star, if one of these three stars turns out to be an actual four-star, then we climb 10.10 places in the rankings. We're grouped in that bunch, particularly in the Pac-12, between 5 and 10. Are we ever going to recruit with Oregon and USC? Not unless some billionaire decides to gift us with (laughs) um, what we need to do that. So, And if you look at the rankings in the Pac-12, we're not that far behind the top. Once you get past the top two, then it's a group. And I'm satisfied with this group given how small it is. Yeah. Well, and one issue we're going to have – Maybe just with the message boards, not maybe necessarily with the team or the what's going to happen with the team, but the class of 2022 is going to be, and this is going to be national. I I have no idea how this is all going to play out, but it's going to be ridiculously small um, across the board, just because C only has three seniors. So we can have a class of 88 right now. There's 90 scholarship players, so. We're already looking at more attrition before we can even add more players. And then you've got the idea of all of the 85 that are not the three seniors, and the three seniors being, of course, Nate Landman, quarterback Sam Neuer, and offensive lineman Kerry Kutch. Those three we know are not going to be back for 2022, but theoretically the other 85 could all be back. Now, there are probably going to be a number of juniors that are actually seniors in the classroom they're just not going to come back and not going to play another senior year. Another, this would be their senior year to play, you know, in 2022. So there's going to be some attrition that way, but it's still probably going to be a very small class. So it might not be until the class of 2023 when some of this COVID class sorts itself out that we can actually see whether or not Carl Durrell is going to compete for a top five, top four finish in the in the Pac-12 rankings. I think we're going to be kind of like you said, I think workmanlike is a good term that uh, we're going to just have to take it player by player and take it year by year. And as long as he keeps winning, then how he gets there, we're not going to be too concerned about. So the bottom line is always going to be what product ends up on the field. And 
so far, Carl Durrell has exceeded expectations. So I think we're going to have to keep giving him the benefit of the doubt and the coaching staff the benefit of the doubt and see what they can come up with as we go forward. Yeah, it's just, it's going to take, I think, more than a couple of years. I think the transfer portal is going to be fascinating the next couple of years. I think lots of kids are going to be looking for the place that they can land yeah. to try to find a scholarship. Right. Um, yeah. I posted a story on the, the See You at the Game website today. That there was one estimate there might be a thousand kids in the transfer portal that don't find a home. And that's this year. And it's going to be even worse next year. So speaking of transfer portal, that's a good segue that we can kind of wrap up this discussion of recruiting, talking about the transfer portal. And again, there's more hand-wringing going on in the Buff Nation about what CU's losing and what we're getting back and whether or not the Carl Durrell coaching staff will be able to take advantage of the transfer portal. Of course, there have been some players that have been lost through the transfer portal. If you remember, Jason Harris was a defensive lineman. He went basically home to Arizona. Not a big loss there. He's playing with his brother now. Not unexpected. He was kind of waffling whether he came to Colorado anyway. Didn't play this year, even though CU was kind of low on the depth chart in terms of numbers on the defensive line. He still didn't get in the game. Katie Nixon, where he ended up was the surprise. Not that he went to the transfer portal, but where he ended up at USC. The other ones that went to the transfer portal did not end up at Power 5 schools. Jaron Mangum, uh, the running back, ended up at South Florida, which is carrying on, I suppose, the Daryl Scott tradition of running backs to Colorado that don't work out, that end up playing for South Florida. In case you're wondering, this is not UCF, the team that Scott Frost led to an undefeated season and did well under Josh Heupel, who's now the coach of Tennessee. We're talking about USF, apologies to Tony, who's a graduate of USF. But this is one school that like went one and eight this year. You know, it was down in the, the bottom of the FBS ledgers. Uh, Darian Rakestraw ended up at Tulane. Tyler Lytle, quarterback Tyler Lytle, ended up at probably the worst team in FBS, UMass. The Minutemen are probably 130 out of 130 schools. And there are some players, again, just mentioning the fact that there are going to be some players that don't find a home. K.J. Torrio, defensive back, linebacker Akil Jones, and running back William Anglin, who left a long time ago. Those three in the transfer portal from the University of Colorado still have not found a home. And for the record, T.J. Patu, as of the time we're speaking here, the day after signing day, still is not committed to a school. And neither has Victor Vaca the four-star player with all the offers, Florida, Texas A&M. He's been a Texas A&M commit for a long time and committed to Colorado for about you know, four weeks. Still has not found a home. So there's a lot going out there in terms of players leaving, and some of them have found homes, but most of them, other than Jason Harris, who went home to Arizona, and Katie Nixon, who I will be surprised if he is a star at USC, I can see the Trojans bringing him to Boulder and trying to make him a feature of the offense and having him score three touchdowns. I would not put that past Clay Helton. But the other 11 games, I'm not sure Katie Nixon's going to be a featured receiver. So if you look at that compared to what CU's taken in on the transfer portal, 
got a four-star linebacker, Richard Barnes, who played at Oklahoma. And just today, again, the day after signing day, linebacker Jack Lamb was a four-star linebacker recruit for Notre Dame who had offers from Oregon and Penn State and Oklahoma and places like that before he signed on with Notre Dame. And then, of course, the quarterback from Tennessee, J.T. Shroud, who was not a four-star player, but he did actually play in SEC games, played eight games, started one for the Volunteers. So the three transfer portal enterees to CU, you got two four-stars and a quarterback that has SEC experience, and they came from Power 5 schools, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Tennessee. So I don't know. The, the, the jury's going to be out. The transfer portal is going to be talked about from here until May and June when everybody graduates and the dust kind of settles on the summer's roster. But I don't know. It seems to me right now Colorado, at least on measure, is doing pretty well. Well, and again, it is pleasant to know that players that were recruited at well-known, highly respected programs, that when it doesn't work out for them as it's going to happen, they look at CU. They look at CU for as an opportunity. And so there are modern-day recruiting includes recruiting kids in the transfer portal and not giving up on them. And so, you know, I think overall the transfer portal worked out for us. I mean, Katie Nixon was probably the best player in that bunch, and he wasn't going to play. Well, and there would be some arguments that he might play too much. You know, that he did when he, the games that he played this past fall in 2020, the offense didn't do as well as when he was injured early on, and the younger players, Dimitri Stanley and Brendan Rice, well, and Chenault, you know, were out there playing that. Yeah, when he got in the game, it seemed like he was detracting from the passing game rather than adding to the passing game. So, yeah, best of luck to all of them, except for when Arizona is playing and Jason Aaron might be against us and Katie Nixon against USC. But I uh, certainly wish no ill will towards the players that have left. But when you're dealing with a roster that only had a handful of seniors and so you can only have a roster of 88, if you are adding – former four-star players, and yes, they're former recruits, and if they were star players for Tennessee, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma, they wouldn't be coming to Boulder. But there is, the, like you say, there's the potential there, and they were highly thought of several years ago. And the fact is is that CU had recruited these three when they were freshmen. We would be doing handstands. So, yeah, you have to be pretty excited about, at least right now, Yes, signing day part two for the University of Colorado was eerily silent. But if you look at the class of 2021 as a whole, if you're going to take the 17 players that we got, and of course there's going to be potentially Ashton Logan, but he's going to be class of 2022, the funder that's well-regarded but going to gray shirt. And the three that we're going to get, at least three now, there's going to be room for more. There's going to be more attrition. We're going to be talking about this roster a lot through spring. There's going to be some players that already know that they're going to graduate or they're going to get through this semester in good standing, and they're going to be going someplace else this summer. That's just the the reality of it. That's just the number game that we're going to be playing. 
And there's going to be more, hopefully, players coming in. If we could get, you know, three or four more former four-stars, I'd be, for one, would be excited to get them. Well, and again, this is this is a new era. You know, your roster's not set in February. Your roster's not set in June. The, the players are going to continue to come, and sadly, players are going to continue to go. And we get a spring practice this year, knock on wood, hope, 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 yes. to kind of settle some of that out and figure it out. Yeah. And one of our three linemen, one of our three seniors will not play this spring, so those younger players will get an opportunity. The quarterback room is going to be really interesting. You can kind of see J.T. Shroud as a physically more talented Sam Neuer. Yeah. You know, and are we going to go with more Sam Neuer? Or are we going to go more with Brendan Lewis? And it's hard having it's hard to have too many decent guys in the quarterback room. Yes, and that was one thing about getting Clay Millen in as another true freshman. That you know you don't want to have a room full of true freshman quarterbacks, and that would have made three that C would have had, counting the fact that Brendan Lewis still counts as a as a true freshman <laughs> um, to go along with Drew Carter that's going to be or already in the fold. So um, we do need to spread out the quarterback room a little bit, but considering a year ago we were looking at Tyler Lytle with maybe Brandon Lewis playing as a true freshman and Sam Neuer being brought back in as a, an emergency type of quarterback situation in case, you know, things didn't work out and look what happened. Sam Neuer came in and went four and two, but Sam Neuer is not going to be a record breaker at the university of Colorado. And Probably coaches are fully aware of that. And so we'll have to see what this class produces and look back four or five years from now and say, wow, we didn't know that that uh, three-star was going to develop into an all-pack 12 player. So any any last words of wisdom or any last words of praise for the CU recruiting class of 2021? I think the last words of wisdom is that it's kind of nice to be a team that is built that we don't need our recruiting class to come in and save us. I'll, I'll go with that. That's, that's, I'll let that be the last word. We will be talking again, do a mailbag here at the end of February, and then we'll start talking about March, which means spring practices and start doing a deep dive into the roster battles. So look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks for listening. One errata to mention before I let you go. CU signed five large men to play in the trenches next fall, bringing in two offensive linemen and three defensive linemen. However, when we were discussing the recruiting class, I inadvertently moved defensive tackle recruit Tyus Martin to the other side of the ball. Martin, the number 27 defensive tackle recruit in the nation, is already 6'4", 320 pounds not the size of individuals you want to misrepresent. So, my apologies to Mr. Martin, and here's hoping he will spend the next four to five years in Boulder tormenting offensive linemen rather than being one. So, with the recruiting class of 2021 largely in place, we will be posting more frequent podcasts as spring practices approach. We'll be doing a mailbag towards the end of February. Please send your questions to game at gmail.com. With our next podcast, Brad and I will also be discussing the off-season changes to the CU coaching staff. This will lead us into March, 
where we'll be doing a deep dive into the CU depth chart as we get closer to the start of spring practices. I hope you and yours are happy and healthy. Until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.